Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. That's me. I'm Bill Barnwell. I'm back after a week off. Lots to talk about today. We're going to be joined by Stephen Ruiz of USA Today and for the win, talking all about the quarterback situation for the Niners at three. Every trope, every dumb narrative surrounding the quarterback situation for the Niners at three, we're going to take apart. Really, Stephen's going to take it apart. I'm just going to kind of nod my head and say, yes, that's a smart point. But before we get into that, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast. It's First Draft hosted by Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Fields Yates. As you probably already know, the NFL Draft is next week, and there's no better place to get all your draft analysis, updates, and deep dive information than with First Draft. So download and follow First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, baseball is back, and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live Major League Baseball games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash baseball. And now, as promised, here's Stephen Ruiz talking about the 49ers and everything related to the third overall pick in this year's draft. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, joining me now, here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a first-time guest. Very exciting, but one of the best people on the internet when it comes to breaking down what is actually happening on the football fields, which is a topic that typically most football writers don't actually care about based on my understanding of football. And yet this man nobly goes to the tape, goes through the history, goes through the numbers. 
whether it's the NFL or in this case, college football, because we're going to talk today with him about the 49ers situation with the third overall pick, which I think is the most fascinating situation outside of maybe the Falcons at four in this year's draft. But joining us to do that, the excellent writer for USA Today and for the win, Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, how are you? I, I'm i doing better after that intro. That give, gave me chills. I don't know if I'm going to live up to those lofty standards, but I'll try my best. It could be like a Blake Griffin situation where I give you that big introduction. You feel like you're part of the team and then you get traded uh, six months <laughs> later. Hopefully not. But Hopefully not. But an excellent read, an excellent follow on Twitter, and, and someone who, like I said, is actually breaking down what is happening. We're going to talk today about, uh, I think, a very unique situation with the San Francisco 49ers. And this is a situation that I think you're perfect to come on and talk about because so much of what is discussed when it comes to the quarterback position and specifically with the Niners and this situation is just basically people's opinions without any actual evidence behind them. Uh, We have now seen multiple players mocked to the Niners with the third overall pick after their trade. We've seen multiple reasons why each of those players would be a good fit. Steven, you are here today to talk about those players and what the Niners maybe are going to do and maybe should do with the third overall pick. But let's start with the guy who, at least theoretically right now, based on what the Niners say, is still their quarterback for the 2020 season, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo. So, Steven, let's start here. First and foremost, should the 49ers have just stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo, not traded up with multiple first-round picks, just stayed put at 12, and just gone back to the quarterback who maybe, quote-unquote, led them to the Super Bowl in 2019 for the 2021 season? I feel like that question will be easier to answer after (laughs) April 29th or whenever the draft is, and after that third pick is made. And if it's Mac Jones, then I will say, yes, they should have just stuck with Jimmy G because here's one thing you could say about Jimmy G. If you ignore everything that happens before a throw, the process, the mental processing, whatever he does pre-snap, I don't know. But when he throws the ball, it looks Mm -hmm. as pretty as you can find in the NFL. Like he's a talented thrower of the football. And Mm -hmm. the thing about Kyle Shanahan's system is like it's quarterback by numbers. Like anyone should be able to do it. Nick Mullins looked like a, a, at least production wise, I think he put up like top 15 efficiency numbers Mm -hmm. in that one year when he played a long, a, a lot. So my question is in regards to Mac Jones, and maybe I'm like getting ahead of myself is if that's the case and this, this system eliminates, you know, the mental work you have to do, Mm -hmm. why not just go for a physical guy, like a guy that's just physically gifted, that can throw a football, that can make Mm -hmm. any throw on the field and, and can move. And I think that applies to Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought out of all of the, I don't know what you want to call them, mediocre quarterbacks. And I'm using that like the literal (laughs) definition of mediocre. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying like, he's like an average quarterback. Okay. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is like maybe the perfect fit for what Shanahan likes to do just because he can make any throw to any part of the field. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was not wild speculation before this past year that Jimmy Garoppolo was not a good fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. I tried. Yeah, I, tried. I, know, I know you tried, <laughs> but like nobody was having this conversation before right. the last couple of months, right? Like, you know, I think there were arguments that Garoppolo was not a superstar. I mean, I know you wrote about it. I wrote about 
that situation at the end of the Super Bowl, uh, at the end of the 2019, sorry, end of the first half of the Super Bowl in 2019, where it felt like he didn't trust Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, the injury concerns, the money concerns, that stuff does matter, of course, but right. I, it sort of feels like, you know, there was this, at least not among people who were maybe watching Jimmy Garoppolo, but at least among the broader NFL public, this sort of widespread idea that, oh yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is good. And because Jimmy Garoppolo is good, the Niners are in great shape mm-hmm. for 2018, sorry, for 2017, 2018, 2019. And then kind of when he got hurt in 2020, there was a feeling of like, oh, actually, maybe we should make a change. And I, I, I think that's not unfair, but I'm surprised that there was that sort of like sudden turn. And I guess maybe I shouldn't be because we saw that with Jared Goff as well, right? We're like coming into the year, there were people who were critical of Jared Goff. I think you were one of them. I know I was one of them. And yet it was like, oh, he led them to a Super Bowl. He's great. Like, what's the problem with Jared Goff? And then after the year, it was like, oh, of course, the Rams should get rid of Jared Goff. Of course, they should upgrade to Matthew Stafford. And I guess just that sort of souring on these quarterbacks. Like, what do you think happens to to make these quarterbacks suddenly go from being like this great fit or this great fit for a scheme to being just, just, you know, persona non grata with these organizations in some ways? I think it's just so difficult even as someone who watches film, like even if you grind every single play, every single throw, it's so difficult to, and maybe impossible to really isolate a quarterback's performance from what's going on around them. Like we, we know that the difference between having three seconds in the pocket and having 3.3 seconds in the pocket is like massive Mm -hmm. in terms of stats and what a quarterback can do, but we can't perceive that with human eyes. Like no one's like, Oh yeah. If he had, point one more seconds and like that play would have been more successful or if he had point mm-hmm. one fewer seconds then it would have been less su- successful so i mm-hmm. think that's part of the problem and i mean when you're watching games at home which 99 percent of people the well-adjusted people that consume the nfl do like it's yes. hard to see it's hard to see whether jimmy garoppolo is missing a wide open throw or whether that receiver was really wide open and jimmy garoppolo's throw made the the catch a little harder than it had to be mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's totally fair. Now, here's the, not the big question, but here's the question that I feel like you've talked about a lot over these past few weeks. Every quarterback, or maybe to me, every quarterback is in one way or another a fit for the quote unquote Kyle Shanahan scheme. I have seen every quarterback justified as, oh, well, if you put him with Shanahan, he's going to succeed because of X or why trait now to you, Steven, is it just that every quarterback would succeed in a Cal Shanahan scheme? Or is there some prototype of quarterback, whether it's traits, whether it's a player that you would look to and say, okay, this guy would be elevated more than other quarterbacks of a similar skill level, but have a, to have a different sort of skill in the Kyle Shanahan scheme, or does it all not matter? Yeah, I think that's actually a good question. And it's, I think it's something that's hard to answer. And if we're just using like stuff that's happened in the past, the best we've seen out of the Shanahan offense, RG three, who is a totally different quarterback from Matt Ryan, but those were the two guys that really elevated the system and they were so different. So that's what makes it that question so hard to answer. It's like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't think Kyle Shanahan knows, to be honest, based on the things Mm -hmm. I've heard him say, like there was. I don't know when he said it, but there's this press conference moment when he's asked about mobility. I think it's the question is about Kaepernick and whether he would have fit 
the 49ers system, but he talks about how mm-hmm. people think the quarterback needs to be mobile. This goes back to John Elway, who was running the Shanahan system with the Broncos. And he was arguing that actually it's better to have a less mobile quarterback because something about how the defense respects the bootlegs and they, I, I, I forget what he said, but he made that comment. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at the clips that he has about the read option and how they were running in Washington and all the things that that opened up for the offense. So mm-hmm. they kind of go against one another, but I, yeah, I honestly don't think Shanahan himself can answer that question. So I don't think I'm qualified to answer it, but I will say like, Saying someone's a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense means nothing to me. That's like, like, <laughs> like that's like being a fit for breathing oxygen. Like, yeah, it's, it applies to everyone. <laughs> I think I'm a fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. Is Steven Ruiz going to be the next quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers? They traded up for me. They traded up for Steven and he's not telling anybody. He's just trashing all the other quarterbacks. Mac Jones, no. Steven Ruiz, yes. I I think there's absolutely some truth to that. And I think the guys you brought up are a perfect example, right? Because I think, you know, to some extent, there is this idea that the Shanahan offense is this totally static thing where, you know, it's just like, here's your Madden playbook. Kind of drop, drop this quarterback in. These are the plays you're going to run. These are the concepts you're going to run. You're going to run them this exact way. And that's it. Like, yes, there's going to be a heavy dose of outside zone. Yes, there's going to be play action off that. But the fact that you know Kyle Shanahan has run a successful offense with Robert Griffin as his quarterback and a successful offense with Matt Ryan as his quarterback, I think indicates pretty clearly that there's not some you know singular definition of what this scheme is or what it's going to be. I mean, it seems like Kyle Shanahan, who I think we all think is pretty smart when it comes to scheming up offensive stuff and you know and a pretty smart offensive mind, is going to mold sort of the broader concepts of his offense to whatever quarterback he has. So when it comes to evaluating the three guys who we all think are in the discussion for him at the third overall pick, I mean, does it really matter all that much in in terms of, you know, what the scheme has been in the past in terms of trying to figure out who the guy is going to be for them at three? Yeah, I don't, I really don't think so. And like even the last few years, the offense, especially the running game has changed a bunch and it changed from when he was in Atlanta to when he got to San Francisco, like he doesn't let Jimmy Garoppolo throw deep down the sidelines. He just doesn't, he stays in the middle of the field and that's it. So I think it has changed throughout his history as a play caller and and there's no reason to believe that it won't when he drafts one of these guys. And I think it's the same mistake we make with the Patriots. Now that we're trying to find them the next Tom Brady, like everyone thinks, Mm -hmm oh, the offense has to fit what the offense was for Brady. And I just don't think that's the case. And I don't think you're going to find another Tom Brady who can operate that system at the same level. So it's it's a pointless exercise. <laughs> that's never stopped anybody before, though. I mean, I mean, Jared Stidham got hyped up last. Like, so, yeah, you're right. Jared Stidham got hyped up without actually playing. He, he got the Chase Daniel hype of, oh, he would be good. He just doesn't play ever. He played in preseason. He threw like he made like two good throws, and that was enough. Boston media was convinced. Mm-hmm. I, I remember very well hearing from so many people that the Patriots would never consider that locker room cancer Camden, <laughs> that he was a bad human being and therefore would be bad for the Patriots. And Bill Belichick would know not to sign Cam Newton, but he did sign, and the offense changed. And I don't think we're going to see that sort of transformational change in terms of 
the offense when it comes to the quarterbacks who they're considering now, the Niners with the third overall pick. But as we sort of go through these three guys, we're sort of seeing people pop up and say, okay, well, the Niners are going to take Mac Jones because he's the most pro-ready guy or Justin Fields because he has the most upside or Trey Lance because he is uh, an incredible thrower on the run. And I sort of want to get to these guys and go one by one in terms of number one, what you look, what you've seen from them watching them on tape. And number two, sort of then what you think the Niners offense might look like or might shift in some ways to consider uh, with regards to these each individual quarterbacks, each of their own situations. And let's start with Mac Jones. You alluded to him a little bit earlier on. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil the conversation here. I want to let you get into Mac Jones, but is it just simple? Or is it just as simple to say that he is the lower risk, lower ceiling option of these three guys? I think that's what people's perception is that he's the lower risk. Okay. He's the, like you said, he's the most pro ready. I, I have a big issue with the pro ready label. I think it's totally backwards. I think we flipped it actually like the, the pocket quarterbacks are the least pro ready in my mind because they win because they're the smartest guy on the field. Like Josh Rosen was the smartest guy on the field at UCLA. When you get to the NFL, you go from being the smartest guy on the field to the dumbest guy on the field. And you no longer have that advantage. And it takes a long time and a lot of practice reps, which I don't know if backup quarterbacks get those reps anymore uh, to fix that, to, you know, Mm -hmm. get that advantage back. So I think it takes a lot longer for those guys to get, to get pro ready, quote unquote. Whereas Mm -hmm. like a Josh Allen, he was a useful player for Buffalo from day one, even though he probably couldn't read a defense and he wasn't accurate, but he could run and Mm -hmm. you could build an offense around that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally fair. And with Mac Jones, I mean, we're, we're dealing with this to some extent with all of these guys, especially with Trey Lance, I guess, but there's really a small sample, right? Like we've seen mm-hmm. basically one year and a couple of games filling in for two a tangle by a lower through injury of Mac Jones. I mean, does that to you, does that hinder him? Does that help him? Like, like, do you think that the fact that he was able to sustain in a small sample might make it more likely he's able to fool coaches or evaluators or is it that because he only played so much in college he might have more projection that we're not seeing because he's going to get better with more reps at any level whether it's the college level or the pro level yeah i think it's not just the small sample thing for me it's it's goes beyond that it's it's a small sample we got one full season of him as a starter but it's also the fact that there weren't a lot of like instructive reps that we can translate to Mm -hmm. an nfl situation like an nfl pocket for instance Mm -hmm. and i think you really have to grind his film like i'm i'm in the process of watching every mac jones throw from 2020 it's as boring as it sounds (laughs) but there are like i and i'm not exaggerating there are like four or five plays every game where you're like all right that looks like something he's gonna face in the nfl Mm -hmm. and i will say that like 80 percent of the time he does not he's not you know make a good play it doesn't turn out well so that's my my thing with the sample size is like if he had played 12 games or whatever it was like let's take trevor lawrence for instance i I watched all every throw he made from this last season over the weekend Mm -hmm. and if that was the only trevor lawrence i saw i would have no questions i wouldn't i wouldn't care about the small sample size because i saw him in nfl situations because clemson's line was not good at all like it was downright bad Mm -hmm. you watch that ohio state game 
he was under duress all game long. It's a miracle they scored 28 points. I've seen people use that performance to like criticize him. I think mm-hmm. I thought he was like short of amazing in that in that game. Mm-hmm. And we you just don't have that with Mac. And that I think that's what creates the question. And to a lesser extent, because Zach Wilson did play three years, I think that's my concern with his 2020 tape, for instance. There are just not a lot of translatable reps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and you would maybe hope that because the NFL looks more like the college game than maybe it has in years past, there would be more direct translations. But even today, I mean, we saw Bruce Feldman's article come out where there were a couple of anonymous quarterback coaches talking about the different prospects. And there was already that Mac Jones quote about um, how the offense went to more drop back concepts. They stopped running RPOs, quote unquote, in 2019 after Tua Tango-Valeo got hurt. Now, number one, this seems weird because pretty much every team in the NFL is running RPOs on some sort of regular basis. So not running it as much as teams are running it at the college level or as much as Alabama ran it ran them last year. But we are seeing plenty of RPOs pop up, but like, you know, does that jibe at all with what you're seeing in terms of the Alabama offense and in terms of what Mac Jones can do? Like, is it, you know, is he a quarterback where he's better running those traditional passing concepts or those drop back, you know, three, five step passing concepts? Yeah. That's what's funny to me is I I'm watching Alabama's film and there's no quick game. Like when you think of, cause what you're expecting for Mac Jones to be right is Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip rivers. Mm-hmm. One of those, the, you know, three-step drops, get the ball out quick. Alabama doesn't have that in their offense. They right. have, they run RPOs and they run shot plays, basically like deep drops off play action. They throw it deep to those aliens they have at receiver. And so I, I don't see where people are picking how they can see that in Mac Jones's game. I just, you just don't see him run quick game. Like the only thing they run is mesh. They run that same mesh play that everyone else runs with the running back wheel to the drag route. And like he's going from the drag or the wheel to the drag, and like that's his mental process, and he gets he gets billed as this quick processor, but mm-hmm. you really don't see it. They run a lot of simple concepts, Alabama. It's, I mean, I think it's analogous to what we saw in Tennessee in terms of the play action game. It's not quite Kyle Shanahan's offense mm-hmm. where you're putting the quarterback on the move and getting him outside of the pocket, but it's more of that, those play action deep shots down the middle of the field, but that we, we seen Ryan Tannehill run over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me. You know, I, I went and looked at the numbers and, you know, they were basically the same with Tua and with Mac Jones. They have a heavy dose of play action in that offense, which to be fair, Kyle Shanahan's offense does as well. But just the idea that like Alabama saw Tua Tango Vailoa, who was a, consensus like good in a top five pick from the moment he you know stepped on the field and and helped bring them back in the national championship game as a freshman um that once Tua got hurt they were like you know what rpos yeah we don't need those that, that's just dumb like we don't want to run these really simple plays for our totally inexperienced quarterback we're going to go back and run an offense from the 1980s that's, that's really right. what we're going to do i mean like is it is it just the fact that he's a white guy who looks like a quarterback. Is it really just that when it comes to how he's being ascribed these skills? It's hard for me to say no to that because also in that, the Feldman article, the one of the QB coaches is talking about how Mac Jones, like he understands protections and making run checks. And maybe that's from like a whiteboard session that they had, or maybe they had a meeting with Mac Jones, but there is none of that on film. 
the only quarterback that I've seen who does protection stuff, actually there's two Trey Lance did some of that as a freshman at North Dakota state, but Trevor Lawrence really, I think that was the game, the part of his game that evolved the most in his last year at Clemson. Like he was handling protections. He also did the thing where you, you like look at the sideline sometimes and change the play, but there were times when he didn't look at the sideline and made those changes. Mac Jones though, there were no changes to be made and maybe there didn't have to be changes because they're Alabama and they're better than everyone. But I just, I don't know how he gets, he gets these, these plus plus marks on his uh, evaluation when I just don't see it on film. Like I, I really don't see anything. And I've gone through phases with Mac Jones. Like I I don't watch college football during the regular season just Mm -hmm. because I'm focused on the NFL and like Saturdays is my one day off. Yeah. So I just assumed, like, look, look at this, like, schlubby white guy. Like, he's throwing at Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Like, I didn't think he was good. I was like, yeah, he's like Kyle Trask. And then mm-hmm. as I watched the receivers, I watched the receivers first. I was like, oh, this guy can actually throw the ball. Like, he's pretty accurate. He, he gets the ball where it needs to be. He's not, mm-hmm. like, holding these receivers back in a way that Kyle Trask kind of held his receivers back. Mm-hmm. And then I watched every single throw. And I think, and this is kind of like a cop out. It's kind of like a pretentious film guy thing to say, like, Oh, you got to watch every play to really figure it out. But what if Mac Jones, I think that's true because there's so much just useless reps to, to wade through, <laughs> to, to find those five reps that I think matter every game. And I just don't like, I went from, Oh, Mac Jones is not even an NFL prospect to, Oh, Mac Jones is, pretty good maybe he's a first round pick to i don't know if he ever starts for more than one or two seasons in the nfl and that's where i am now because Mm. there are just so many concerns like even the mental processing thing like that's his thing mental processing accuracy i would personally say that in both of those areas he's just good and he's in this offense that gives him so many layups that it stands out more than it might for trevor lawrence you know, we never talk about Trevor Lawrence's process. Do you know why? Because he's talented and he's good at everything else. <laughs> we don't have to focus on it. I, I do recall some Daniel Jones uh, scattered reports that talked about his processing. And he might be the slowest processor in the National Football <laughs> League on a week-to-week basis. Like a, a, a man who it looks like he's, like he's a computer that's uh, running too many programs and slow down. <laughs> at times in the pocket. Like, I, I I wonder, like, do you even think that we can do a good job of evaluating someone's processing ability before they enter the pros? And with Mac Jones, I would figure just because, you know, he does have so much talent around him. Like, do you think that makes it more difficult to evaluate that or, or almost impossible to evaluate that? Or do you think it's actually something that we can sort of measure if you do look at the tape in advance? I think it's possible to get an idea. I think we put way too much stock in it. And maybe this is just me overcorrecting after Justin Herbert, because you watch Justin Herbert and he was just, it took him forever to, to get rid of the ball at Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then with the chargers, he looks like a totally different quarterback. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's a system thing. I know that's been brought up with Justin Fields is like, Oh no, actually he's not holding on to the ball too long. It's just, that's how Ohio state runs their offense. Like the running, the receivers are running, reading the coverage and deciding what route they run based on that. Mm-hmm. So I think it is hard if you're not like steeped in the playbook and offensive philosophy and you're not meeting with these guys, I think it makes it so much harder. So I think we put too much weight on it. And 
like, what is a first read? I know there's so much discourse about like how a quarterback does beyond his first read. What is a first read? I actually, I wrote about this in regards to Justin Fields when that was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching Mac Jones and I'm, I'm hearing these people say like, he's such a quick processor. He goes through his progressions, but like they'll run Alabama will run a concept to one side that involves maybe three receivers. So he's going from like, let's say it's a smash concept, which is just a hitch route with a slot receiver running a corner route. Mm-hmm. He's reading one defender. He's going from the corner route to the hitch route. Like, is that a read? Is that him going from what his first read is the corner route and his second read is the hitch? Or is that just one total read? And right. getting to your second read is going backside and like throwing a dig route, for instance. And I, I honestly, I don't see a lot of that. Like I don't see Mac Jones getting to the backside concept a whole lot. And I really don't think he's that comfortable in a tight pocket. If you watch the Georgia game and he took a lot of hits, but there are some reps where like, it looks like an NFL pocket where you would see like a Tom Brady, like step up, stay Mm -hmm. strong, keep his eyes downfield and throw a 15 yard dig route across the middle. Mac Jones, he, he panics in those situations. He lets bodies around him, even if they are a threat, like there's a play in the Tennessee game where he has two bodies at his feet and he's throwing off his back foot, even though those guys are laying on the ground, like he could just easily shuffle, make a good throw. He throws off his back foot and almost throws an inter- interception. And that shows mm-hmm. up at least like once or twice a game. I think it would show up more if he was in a worse situation. Yeah. And I mean, you figure even though he would be with Kyle Shanahan in a good offense in San Francisco, they're not going to have the talent advantage that Alabama had in pretty much every game. Mac Jones has played at the college level. Um, You mentioned Justin Fields, and you mentioned the idea of a one-read quarterback and a one-read offense. Now, I've only challenged one person on Twitter who has told me that a quarterback was a one-read quarterback, and it was Colin Kaepernick. And when I challenged him on it, I said, okay, what do you think about him uh, as a one-read quarterback? I was told, oh, well, uh, he was doing the read option. And once he stopped doing the read option, people figured him out. And I said, well, that's not really the same thing. It's not, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Um, so I think you brought up a really good sort of example of, of what the idea of, of a single read uh, might be on a particular play. And I think it seems like this is only weaponized towards quarterbacks of color. Mm-hmm. It came up with other quarterbacks in the past who were running pro schemes. I think Lamar Jackson is maybe a, a, the most notable example. But it, in terms of the idea of being a one-read quarterback or, or taking a single read on a play, I mean, isn't this something that every single NFL quarterback does? Yeah, that's that's why I find it funny when people say that. Like, in back, back when I first started, I was probably one of those guys that was like, oh, yeah, he's a one-read quarterback. But, like, the more you, like, learn about the game and the more you watch – every NFL quarterback, you see that most quarterbacks are throwing to the read on first read on most snaps. I think PFF publishes this in their QB annual. And like, it's always like really high and it's never the quarterbacks you think that are throwing to their second read more often. Mm -hmm. Like Tom Brady's usually really high on it. Peyton Manning, he threw to his first read 99% of the time. The reason was that he knew what the defense was doing and he knew what wide receiver to look at first. Right. And I, I don't, I think that's hard to see on film and it's hard to separate whether the quarterback is doing just, he's just doing good work before the, the snap and he knows where to go with the ball mm-hmm. or if 
he's doing it post or if he's unable to do it post snap, like he's blocking onto his first read just because he can't progress past to from two to three. But you watch these guys in a clean pocket with nothing around them. They can all go one, one to two to three. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not that they're professional quarterbacks. They got here for a reason. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yes. I mean, like, and and there are schemes, especially when you get down to lower levels, like there'll be concepts on a play where you'll also be told, okay, like your quarterback, like, you're going to pick which half of the field you want to work based right. on where the safeties are positioned. And that's not you doing a bad job. Like That's not your fault that you're, you're picking one side of the field. That's just what, what the scheme is. And that's just to design to get the ball out quickly and design to, you know, make things easier for you. And I think the Manning example is perfect because, you know, you don't have to read three or four different receivers if you know where to go before the snap. And so I think this idea is just so like, it, it, it just does not bear any resemblance to reality. Like, yes, every quarterback to me is going to have single read throws. If you have a matchup you like in the red zone and you know that you have the ability to check to a fade, that's going to be your single read. I'm reading that I have uh, who's a good wide receiver against a bad cornerback. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins versus Vernon Hargraves. I went Texans. I was okay. trying to hurt Texans fans as much as I could. <laughs> Vernon Hargraves is actually the like the best possible example. Yes. DeAndre Hopkins versus Vernon Hargraves. I guess you're going to be a run read quarterback on that play because you are just chucking that ball up. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's going to be fine. There's nothing, no issue with that. I, but I feel like that idea has been just so tortured when it comes to, uh, you know, quarterbacks coming out of color. And now with Justin Fields, Putting that aside, because I don't think that's fair. I mean, what did the Ohio State offense look like with him uh, under center? I think it looked most like a pro style offense compared to any of these prospects outside of maybe Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. I I have a hard time watching them and thinking, oh, this is never going to work at the NFL level. And I know a lot of people do that just because it's Ohio state in their track record with quarterbacks. But mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Dwayne Haskins, who apparently has issues with commitment, I don't even know. I don't know what's going on with his life. I'm not going to speculate, but mm-hmm. there are off field concerns with him apparently. But before him, like Cardell Jones was seen as a prospect for like one night, <laughs> that one night, yes. that national championship night. But like, it was pretty quick. It was pretty clear and pretty quickly that he was like a day three pick and JT Barrett was never seen as an NFL prospect and you can go on and on. And I think he operated this offense or at least the offense operated in a different way than it did with Dwayne Haskins. I, I can't speak to the, the quarterbacks before then, but I watched Dwayne Haskins and the offense was a lot more simple. It was a lot more like what you saw Alabama running, to be honest, like you saw a lot of mesh, you saw a lot of RPOs and, I think it was, I, I don't know. I don't know if the coaches did that because they knew they had a better quarterback or that was just the natural evolution of the offense. But mm-hmm. I really don't see any issues with his ability to process like an NFL quarterback or to pick up an NFL offense because I think it was the closest that we'll get out of this class. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of the mobility, does it sort of like mask his ability as a passer? Like, do you think he's being punished in a way for being mobile? Like it's almost like his, his speed is sort of causing people just to assume that he's fast and isn't a great processor or isn't uh, a solid pocket quarterback. Like, 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 how do you think if you can separate out his speed from what he does in the pocket, like, like, would he be a similar caliber NFL prospect 
if he didn't run whatever he runs a four, four or whatever. Yeah. And I think this is where the, the race thing comes in. It's, so that makes it hard to answer. Like, I think if you took away that speed and that athleticism, he's as good of a prospect as Mac Jones. I think mm-hmm. he's tougher in the pocket. He's more willing to hang in the pocket and go through and keep his eyes downfield and go through progressions and make, and he has the capability of making those tough throws in tight pockets. Mm-hmm. Like when I first watched him, I think the first film I saw of him was the Clemson semifinal game. I think they ended up losing, but to me, he reminded me of Cam Newton, like in the best possible way where Cam Newton's best strength. And I don't think people really appreciate what Cam Newton was actually good at. His best strength was how tough and how tall he stood in the pocket. Mm -hmm. Like if you look up next gen stats, but like in 2015, he was like the third least mobile quarterback in the NFL. He stayed in the pocket as much as Brady and Manning did that year. And I think Fields has that in him. He has that pocket toughness and ability to operate out of the pocket. Mm -hmm. And I do think if he wasn't an athlete, we wouldn't have the question marks we have about him as a pure passer. I do think that contributes to the question marks. So shouldn't it be good that he's a good passer? (laughs) And then also, by the way, he's really fast. You would think it's strange that we're like criticizing him for being talented in multiple ways. Um, but what do I know? Uh, I mean, this I, is this yeah. the, it's the draft. Like we we uh, ding prospects for like knowing how to cook <laughs> or liking to dance or another and having other interests. So it makes sense that uh, that's consistent. You can't do too much. I mean, do you think Justin Fields was not competitive enough in rock paper scissor for certain teams to consider him? <laughs> I want to know what I, a more informative thing would be what he what his strategy is in rock paper scissors. That's what I would uh, would, uh, would uh, want to know. I don't want to know how competitive you are. Like if you're overreacting to rock paper scissors, I, I don't want to talk to you. But yeah, I don't know where he is on the Eagles board. Like like how competitive can you really be? That's in the rock, thing. Paper, scissors. Like are you gonna like start cursing people? Like you're gonna like try to like attack uh, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, through Zoom because you lost in rock paper scissors. Is being competitive like a good thing in rock, paper, scissors? I think you'd want to be calm, cool, collected, and thoughtful. You wouldn't want sure. to be like fired up. Sure. I don't want John Henderson, you know, the John Henderson getting slapped before the games. You see yes. that video? Yes. Yeah, I don't want that guy. If I'm betting on a rock, paper, scissors guy, I'm not betting on John Henderson. Mm. I, I mean, hey, maybe it'll work for the Eagles, uh, but a team that's already been burned by one North Dakota state quarterback before the Philadelphia Eagles with Carson Wentz, maybe burned is harsh, but uh, the other North Dakota state quarterback coming out is Trey Lance. Now Trey Lance only played one game last year. Trey Lance has, I believe 318 career pass attempts at the college level. Do you think we know enough about Trey Lance to feel confident about his at the very least, his pro ceiling, if not necessarily even his pro floor. Yeah, I would say that we know. I think we. I would be more comfortable projecting a ceiling than a floor, actually. I would think it would be the mm-hmm. other way around. Because, yes, he only, what was it, 318 passes? But he showed off some physical gifts that I don't even think Trevor Lawrence, who I think is the greatest quarterback prospect I've watched, but I haven't been, I mean, I haven't been watching for that long. And yeah, so I think that sets his ceiling pretty high. As for floor, that's like like why I'm 
I'm scared about getting too invested in Trey Lance. Like if the Panthers drafted mm-hmm. him, I would, I would, I don't, I don't know how I would feel. I'd be irrational. Don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> That's true. We have we got Sam Darnold now. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think his, his ceiling is, I think we know his ceiling. The question is his floor. We don't know what he'll be. He could be a quarterback that never plays. Like he gets drafted like Paxton Lynch and just never plays. But I think the flashes of talent, and there were a lot of them in that 2019 film when he was just a teenager, by the way, which is just ridiculous. And apparently mm-hmm. his maturity, like he's really mature, however much that matters. He has a high foot by IQ, apparently. So mm-hmm. he has the intangible things there. And he's a special thrower of the football. He's a great athlete. I think he's the one quarterback in this class where you could build a running game around him. I I don't think there have been very many of those guys. Like Even like a Russell Wilson is a guy who can run and you can run zone read with him. But Seattle never built their run game around him. Whereas like Cam Newton, the Panthers, they did. The Patriots did this last Mm -hmm. year with them. Lamar Jackson, obviously, is another case. And then Washington with Robert Griffin. Mm -hmm. I think Lance is that type of athlete. So I will say, so maybe I'm wrong about the floor. Maybe because that contradicts what I said about the pro ready thing. If he's a useful runner, I think you can build a decent offense around him as long as he can make throws. And I, I am confident that he can make throws. The questions are accuracy and decision-making. And I will say this 2020 game gave me more pause. I thought he was going to be better. It was a bad game, but I'm willing to write that off just because of the circumstances. I mean, yeah, it was one game in the middle of the year like hard to feel like you're super invested. Like he has had two pro days and said more pro days than games in his final season. Um, I mean, do you, do you feel like the drop down in terms of level of competition makes it significantly more difficult? Like, like, like you think it's harder to evaluate someone who is playing at a lower level or harder to evaluate someone like a Mac Jones who has every advantage handed to him uh, in terms of the personnel around him, even though he's going up against the top competition in the country, uh, I'd say it's. Ooh, I'd say it's easier, just because you're like relatively speaking, the talent level is it's pretty even. I know North Dakota State was like a power at that level, but with like for instance with Zach Wilson, I think that's the perfect comparison. Is Zach Wilson also played lower competition? But he also had BYU's offense, which was so much better relative to the competition, whereas North Dakota State, the supporting cast around Trey Lance looked more like the opposite team they were playing. Mm -hmm. But with BYU, they were just way better than whoever they were playing that week. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes it easier if you're comparing evaluating Lance to Zach Wilson. I think it's easier to evaluate Lance as for Mac Jones I don't know just because they are playing against SEC teams like he yes he had great guys NFL guys but every Alabama quarterback basically has that and they're he's still playing SEC competition and trying to avoid SEC pass rushers so I so I would say if I was you know stacking them I'd say Lance is probably the is probably easier to evaluate just because he doesn't have that supporting cast Mac Jones is next and then I think Zach Wilson is just an impossible evaluation. Why is that? Because they're like, I, I said earlier that there are like four or five plays that are translatable in Mac Jones's tape. Every game there's, there's maybe four or five 
total in that season. Like oh, no. last year, I watched every snap, every drop back. I mean, I and I clipped every play that I thought like was translatable to the NFL. And I came away with like 15 clips. Oh no. And then you add in like the injury, the injury history. He is a smaller guy. And the fact that BYU was an independent mm-hmm. and they they only tested three times a week and they really weren't shorthanded any week and they were playing this week schedule whereas the power five guys were all you know playing in conference they didn't get any cupcakes so i think all of those unknowns just make it so hard and then you go back to 2019 and his tape is not very good mm-hmm. so all that combined for me it's just like if you're saying what zach wilson is going to be with any confidence i i i think you're lying <laughs> well good luck jets have fun <laughs> um hope you guys get enough around him yeah i mean it's it's such a fascinating thing right because Going back to that class of 2018, is it 2018? Yeah, right? Baker Mayfield. Baker yeah. Mayfield, five quarterback class. Yep. I mean, after each of those five years, not only that, but even before the first year. So coming out of college, the NFL ranked them one way. After 2018, you would have ranked them uh, you know, one through five in one way. 2019, the rankings would have been totally different. 2020, the rankings would have been totally different yet again. I mean, we still don't really know. Right. Like I have, we have an idea that like, okay, Josh Allen has improved so much that he's totally different from what we expected coming out of school. Um, Baker is, you know, can be great. He can also be awful. Um, we know Josh Rosen's pretty much not cut out for this job. Um, and Lamar like, Jackson works at this level. Lamar Jackson, it turns out, is an NFL caliber quarterback. Good football players are good at football. Yes. Um, Yeah. And so I I guess, like, as we think about what these five quarterbacks are going to become, including Lawrence and Wilson here, um, you know, there's still so much in terms of what we're going to see from them at the NFL level that's going to change our perceptions. And I, you know, I, I know you said it about Wilson, and I think the insight you have here is really valuable. And yet, like, it's so tough. Like, this is such a tough thing. And when right. it comes to bringing it back to the Cal Shanahan scheme and the Cal Shanahan fit, like, how can anyone say for sure, like, oh, this guy is going to work in this offense because he has the skill or this trait? Like, we don't know if that trait is even translatable, let alone if that trait is yeah. going to play out at a high level um, when you get to the NFL over multiple years. So I... You know, I, I guess the question I have is this um, in terms of how the Niners have approached the situation. Adam Schefter reported shortly after the trade, I believe, that the Niners were basically interested in trading up to somewhere in the top five. They talked to the Bengals at five, talked to the Falcons at four, and then talked to the Dolphins at three and eventually got the deal done at three. Do you think? The Niners are sitting here today, a week before the draft, or a little over a week before the draft, without a significant preference for one of these guys? No, I think they know who they want. I don't know if that's the best approach. Like mm-hmm. we've we've we know that NFL teams are way too confident in their ability to evaluate. Yes. But I think I don't think they make that move without knowing. I just don't see how you can justify it. Especially it's crazy, right? Especially, yeah, especially with like the different types of quarterbacks that mm-hmm. you you would have at your disposal or be able to pick. Like, assuming we know Lawrence is going first, 
and we're pretty much sure Wilson is going second. So that leaves Fields, Mac Jones, and Trey Lance. And I think those guys are really, really, really different. Like they are so completely different. So I I could not see them making such a bold move and still being like, oh, we still got to figure this out over the next couple of weeks. It just doesn't make sense for me. And like going back to what you said before that about how we we just don't know because so much depends on like what translate and where these players land. That's the thing that makes me sick about Mac Jones is I like I'm like ripping him apart. But if he lands with Kyle Shanahan, he's going to be decent and he's going to make me look like an idiot. But I'm willing to risk that. That's a fair risk. So now I'm going to ask you, we're at the end here. I, you know, I have to ask you these two questions. All right. Two part question here to finish up. Number one, who do you think the Niners are going to take with the third overall pick? And then five years from now, who do you think that the Niners will look back and say, Oh, we should have taken this guy with the third overall pick. All right. I think they're taking Justin Fields. Really? I, I, that was third on my list of people who I thought you were going to say. I'm 90% confident they're taking Justin Fields. Wow. And maybe it was just that video. You saw the video from the pro day with like Kyle Shanahan just like smiling Mm -hmm. and just looking at him. Like, I really think it's Justin Fields. And I, in five years to answer your second question, I mean, I have Fields at QB2, so that's my answer. Like, I think Fields, Mm -hmm. but the one person that I think they might look back and say, Oh, we should have taken him is Trey Lance just because his ceiling is so high. And if he maxes out, he is better than everyone in this class outside of Trevor Lawrence. In my opinion, if the Panthers draft Mac Jones, (laughs) will you be able to tweet for a day or two? Uh, It depends on who's allowing me to tweet. Like (laughs) I don't Twitter might ban me. USA today might kick me, suspend me from Twitter. Or maybe I'll just take, I'll just, you know, move into the woods and start a commune and just never cover the NFL again. But yeah, if they they draft Mac Jones after that initial tweet storm, you probably won't be hearing from me, from me for a couple of days. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully that does not happen because Stephen Ruiz is an excellent follow on Twitter and Stephen, please plug the various places. People can read your stuff, read your tweets, all that stuff. You can find me at For the Win. That's where I write, ftw.usatoday.com. I have a podcast, The Counter, Charles McDonald, Four Verts on Twitter. We have fun. And at, on Twitter, the Steven Ruiz. I, I, I still regret putting the the in my handle, but I can't go back now. Can't go back is indeed true. That is the feeling some NFL teams will have <laughs> after they've drafted a quarterback and evaluate them over the summer for the first time in their uniforms. But Steven... First time guest. This will not be the last time. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much to Steven Ruiz. He will be back. Excellent guest. Excellent follow on Twitter. Excellent writer. Nothing but good things to say about Steven Ruiz's work. We have more audio coming next week. I'm not sure if we'll do a podcast before the draft or after. Uh, Maybe one before and then just kind of do a wrap up the following week. But we will have plenty more to talk about, obviously. News still breaking with the NFL, rumors happening, uh, all kinds of stuff to get to before the draft next week. So thanks so much for listening and more audio on the way. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app 
to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. 